he spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, yet the clouds don't burst under their weight. He covers the face of the full moon, spreading his clouds over it. He marks out the horizon on the face of the waters for a boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of the heavens quake, aghast at his rebuke. And by his power, he churned up the sea. By his breath, the skies become fair. His hand pierced the gliding serpent. And these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? vastness of God's creation it has to bring us to a place of worship amen those were pictures from the Hubble telescope just amazing pictures that just cause us to have an awe and a worship of God we're in the awe of his magnificence just as Job said to us in Job 26 that I've just read. Today, we are going to be looking at another great king of the Old Testament, namely Solomon. And uh, we've been doing this series, we're kind of in the middle of it, um, that Matthew had in Matthew 1, the kind of genealogy of Christ, looking at different people that are in that, some unusual people in that. Uh, and today we're kind of parachuting um, probably into Solomon's kind of greatest moment, okay, which is in First Kings 8. And uh, he has just completed this amazing uh, cathedral-like structure uh, that took seven years to build of the, this vast temple ornate, so ornate, so, so full of riches, so amazingly done with the craftsmen coming and bringing all their skills to it that even foreign powers like the Queen of Sheba came and kind of gave glory to God for the kind of amazing, uh, the, the amazing building that it was. And he orders for the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments carved by the very finger of God given to Moses to be placed uh, under the golden cherubim in the most holy place. 
And there was much sacrifice done by the priests at this point. So this, this was brought in. This was now the kind of the first time that the Ark of the Covenant had actually been in a building before that. It had been uh, in tents. And now this was actually this wonderful building. And here we go, um, going into verse 9 of 1 Kings 8, if you want to read it in your Bibles, or it will come up behind me. And there was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. And when the priests withdrew from the holy place, listen to this, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. The glory of the Lord filled his temple. And Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. And while the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned and he blessed them. The glory turns from this sort of wonderful building, so intricately designed, to suddenly the presence of God. Suddenly, Solomon is there, and he is just awed. Suddenly, he's like, oh my goodness, God is literally in the house. He's here. He's here. I've built this to you, and suddenly... Oh, this cloud has filled this temple. And he is in, he's in rapture. He's in awe. Humbled. When God comes, we're humble, aren't we? We just suddenly feel our finiteness. We're just creatures that he has created. Suddenly, Almighty God comes. And he's awed. And it says the priests were so overcome. They actually, uh, this is another version, they they couldn't even stand up. The Spirit of God came so powerfully that they fell over. Uh, The power of God was so present there. They were so filled with the presence of God. Have you ever experienced that? Actually being just touched by God, God's Spirit coming and being touched so powerfully on you that you're actually, whoa, this is, Almighty God, I'm overcome. Have you fallen to your knees? Sometimes you're just like, I am just in awe of God and his splendor and his majesty and his might and who he is and how. It's just amazing. I just want to praise. I want my life to just, who am I, God? And yet you use me and yet we're on our knees. We're worshiping him. We're adoring him. Solomon's in that place. It's a wonderful moment. Probably his highest moment. That he's worshipping God. He'd seen his father David's heart for worship. We we can read them. Isn't it wonderful? We can read them today. We can read some of those psalms that actually David poured out to God. Pouring out. He was known as a man of worship. A man of worship. And Solomon knew that my dad was this man of worship. And here I am. He's saying on that day, here I am, I'm experiencing it, dad's gone, now I'm experiencing it myself, for myself. Not just dad's experience, but my experience. I just want to say to you this morning, 
God is here for you. It's not just what my dad experienced, what my mum experienced, what my brother experienced, what my granny experienced. God wants to come to you today. He wants to say, actually, I'm here for you today. Yeah? David had wanted to build a house for God. That was his heart. And he called out to God. He said, I want to build a house for you. I want to build a wonderful, wonderful place that is majestic and honors you in everything. And God said to him, you will build a house for me, but it won't be you. It'll be your son who does it. It'll be your son who does it. It was going to be Solomon who did it. And because David's hand was tainted with too much bloodshed, he, he was a fighter as well as a worshiper. God said, no, no, I'm going to give this to your son to do. Verse 22. And then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards him. And he said, O Lord, the God of Israel, There is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping the covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant, my father David, that which you have promised him. Indeed, you have spoken with your mouth and you fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, the God of Israel, Keep with your servant David, my father, that which you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel, if only your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me as you have walked. Now therefore, O God of Israel, let your word, I pray, be confirmed with which you have spoken to your servant, my father David. And listen to this, verse 27. And this question... This question, I want to focus in on this question. This is the question that he asks. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Will God indeed dwell on the earth? That was Solomon's question. He was in such awe, and then he's seen the presence. Will he dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this house which I built. Yet you have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to listen to the cry and to the prayer which your servant prays before you this uh, today. Solomon is overcome with worship. He's in awe of the glory of God. Yahweh made heaven and earth, the transcendent, all-powerful, untouchable, ever-seeing, limitless in wonder, honor. He's delivered his people from slavery. With his mighty hand, he holds the stars in space. We've seen some of the stars. He breaks down the walls of Jericho. He's uncontainable. He's all-seeing. Could he come down on earth and dwell with mankind? And that's the question that Solomon kind of throws out. 
Can he be so majestic and marvelous and awesome? The uncreated one, as we sing. And yet, and yet, and this is what Solomon's wrestling with. And yet, he makes himself accessible. He's not just up there where we awe and worship him, but he makes himself, he comes down, he makes himself accessible. Can I actually know him? Yeah. He knew, his, he knew that his dad knew God. It wasn't just that, oh, I'm just worshiping. It was actually, there's a relationship here. He limits himself in order to come down to be able to reach you and I. That's an awesome, that's awesome. No other God has that. No other God has that. Lots are kind of like, oh yeah, mighty, majestic. But, But our God, the same Solomon, David's God, Solomon's God, our God, our awesome creator God, he comes down so that we can act, so that mankind, his creation, can access him, can have a relationship with him, can meet him. The Westminster Confession says this. God is a spirit in and of himself, infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection, all-sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Doesn't it make you worship God? That is our God. That is our God. Isn't that amazing? I'll say that again. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? God appears many times in the Old Testament. He makes himself reachable. He communicates with his people. He comes down to Moses in the burning bush. And yet it doesn't burn up. He, he, He... he comes down in the, cloud, uh, the tent of meeting for Moses. He, he's one of the visitors that comes to visit Abraham and Sarah. He, he comes to Gideon. He comes to Samson's parents. He, he's there in the fiery furnace with uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And he's there and he just appears in the flames. Isn't that amazing? He comes down. He's there. He's, he's, they, they can see him. It's one of the great mysteries of God. Outside of time, and yet coming down to earth, having a relationship with man, transcendence with intimacy. That's our God. Transcendence with intimacy. Doesn't it make you just want to worship God? I feel like almost just stopping and just, we should just worship God. Yeah? And this question this question that sort of like hangs in the air almost for like, like a thousand years. Will God dwell on earth? Will God dwell on earth? What a crazy idea. Will God dwell on earth? He's just amazed that he could even box himself in, that he could box himself in and just appear in this building of the temple. And yet... God had promised his people that he would dwell with them 
And this thing of dwelling with his people is a really, it goes on and on right through the whole Bible. I will dwell with my people. He says to Moses, I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. The, we've looked at a number of characters that Matthew talks about in this genealogy of Christ. And many times we're kind of comparing, we're sort of saying, well, this guy here, Judah, there is elements about him that he was a bit like Christ. And we kind of, we've done that with a number of them. Okay, we've kind of you know, looked at David and we sort of said, yeah, they're a bit like that, they're a bit like Christ. I want to say, in this thing of, of Solomon, it's not that Jesus is a bit like Solomon, Okay, it's actually what Solomon built. Solomon built a temple. That's what he was known for. He built a temple. And Jesus is a bit like that. He's a bit like that. He's a, he's something physical that actually the presence of God is in. Yeah? Yeah? Jesus comes, and we hear this so clearly. John has so caught, he has so caught this point, John, in the New Testament. And uh, he comes in John 2, um, and he, he talks about Jesus coming to the temple of his day. And he, and he scourges out the money changers, remember that, saying, this is, this is a house of God. What have you made it into a den of thieves? And then he says this amazing statement about himself. Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And they kind of look at him thinking. And they're all thinking. They're all flabbergasted because they know it took 46 years to build. I'm thinking, uh, so nonsense. But they didn't understand what he was saying. And what he was saying is destroy this temple, my body, and in three days... I will come back from the grave. You'll kill me off, guys. But in three days, I will come back again. He expresses with such poetic clarity, John, what Solomon could only kind of wonder about. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. The world did not know him. But the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. Who's, who's read Tozer here? Yeah, not enough. Get hold of Tozer, okay? Get hold of you. you Many of you haven't even heard of it. Okay, he's a good, he's, he's just, he writes some really great stuff. I will give you, I'll whet your appetite. Okay. <clears throat> the yearning to know what cannot be known, to comprehend the incomprehensible, to touch and taste the unapproachable, arises from the image of God in the nature of man. Deep calls unto deep. And though polluted and landlocked, I love that, by the mighty disaster called the fall, the soul searches its origin and longs to return to source. 
How can this be realized? The answer is simply through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Christ and by Christ, God affects complete self-disclosure. Although he shows himself not to reason, but to faith and love. God came to us in the incarnation. In atonement, he reconciled us to himself. And by faith and love, we enter and lay hold of him. This is, this is the mystery of God, that he has disclosed himself to us. He, this almighty, powerful, uncreated one, the creator of, of us and everything we see, all the planets, all the stars, everything we see, he comes as Jesus. It's wonderful. Christ embodied the almighty creator. And yet he was someone you can have a picnic with. Yeah? As many of the guys did. Many times. Many others did. Thousands did. In fact, let's go and have a picnic with almighty creator God. Yeah? Someone they could touch. Someone they could... They stopped and cared for children. Somebody who cared for widows and the troubled and those that were um, poor and diseased and he stopped because he cared. And this is our God. This is our God. Yeah? Turn to, turn to the person next to you. <laughs> Just say, this is our Jesus. <clears throat> we need to keep these two truths in equal proportion. Don't just reduce Jesus to your best buddy without comprehending his awesome power at his hands that holds the planets in orbit that rests the sun in his hands and has conquered death. We should worship God for his greatness but also for his availability. He's available. He cares for every little bit, every little bit of creation. He cares about and he knows about, doesn't he? That's what Jesus says. He tells us, he says, he knows every, don't worry, stop worrying, says to us. God knows every little bird. He knows every hair on your head is accounted for. Look at the lilies of the field because they're not arrayed in they're, they're arrayed more splendid than even the clothes that Solomon had. He mentioned Solomon in this old rich kind of, you know, Solomon that we were talking about. He had this care. It makes you just want to worship him, doesn't it? Yeah? Just this awesome, amazing God. Out of this time of worship, Solomon, he, so he's there, he's just worshiping in this temple. And he's, he's, he's getting revelation as he's worshiping. God's speaking to him as he's worshiping. Does God speak to you when you worship? Yeah, absolutely. I just want to say, 
I want to say, sometimes you're thinking, man, if you knew what I was going through, Matthew, the kind of tough stuff I'm facing right now. I mean, it just, worship just seems like 100 miles away from me right now. I want to say, certainly for Anne and I, that the times we worship the most are the times where it is the toughest. Because that's all you can do. I want to get my eyes off the, off, off the detail of the situation. And I want to lift my eyes to the glory of God. I want to see, I want to see the eternal God <laughs> that is not limited by time and space. Yeah. I want to get my eyes and lift my eyes and worship him. And we worship him. We just kind of, and that's what we do. Sometimes it's like, that's all we can do. Sometimes you just got to, you got to kneel and you just got to worship God. You've got to say, I am going to fill my heart and mind. I'm going to bang on the, <coughs> the CD or the whatever it is, MP3. Now, <coughs> I'm going to bang it on and I'm going to just worship. Don't be afraid in your homes to whack up the sound and to lit. Don't just kind of there and kind of be quiet. Just start to sing out. No matter how good you are at singing, yeah, just sing out. And let your heart rise with glory to God. I want to really encourage you in that because it's so important. It takes us to a place that is transcendent. Yeah? God wants to take us and to transform us and to take us into a place that is like, here I am. I'm in heaven. I'm, 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 you know, I'm taking you to a place where you're just filled with the awe of God. So Solomon, he prays this, this, this is further down in the chapter. Slight gear change. I'll come back to it in a minute. But I think it's so important. And he says this, when your people go out to battle against their enemy, when they sin against you, brackets, for there is no man who does not sin, and you are angry with them and deliver them to an enemy so that they take away your captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. If they take thoughts in the land where they have been taken captive and repent, if they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul and pray to you towards their land which you have given to their fathers, then hear their prayer and their supplication in heaven, your dwelling place, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you and make them objects, all of this, objects of compassion before those who have taken them captive that they may have compassion on them. You know, <laughs> Zipping right into the New Testament. Paul says a very similar thing. And he says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He's echoing what Solomon's saying. Yeah? He's saying all have sinned. You know what? All have sinned. And that's, that's what Solomon's saying. He's saying all have sinned. But he gives this amazing, it's a prophetic word. He doesn't know that actually 
in a, in a couple hundred years, God's people's going to be taken into captivity, that this is what is going to happen to them, that they are going to be in a foreign land, taken captive by foreign powers. But if they repent, and if they confess their sin, that actually God will bring them back. But he's just, he's prophesying. He's away because he's worshiping God and God is just filling him and he's there with that. And I want to say to us today that it's the same truth. If, you, if you're in a place, you're like, actually, I don't know God. Or maybe I do, and I, but I've really screwed it. God is faithful to forgive you. He is. He's faithful. Anything. Anything. He's faithful. And it's so important. We, this truth, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that we preach. The gospel that actually, this almighty God that is almighty but also avails himself so that we can approach him is also the God that is full of forgiveness and that we who are mere creations of him who have really, really screwed up. Every single one of us, apart from Jesus Christ, has screwed up so that we are separate from God. But he's faithful who will forgive us our sins. That is the gospel. It's an amazing gospel. John says in 1 John 1, Eight and nine. If we say, I think we've already said this with, when we were breaking bread, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Luke quoted it earlier on and it, that's where it's in. Okay? Solomon, all his weakness, has this a moment of revelation. It's coming out of a time of worshiping God. I just want to say, we need to regain our wonder, our awe of Almighty God. Amen? The Westminster Confession, the shorter Westminster Confession states, do you know what man's chief end is? Do you know what your main purpose in life is? And... Slightly, slightly longer than that shorter one, yeah. <laughs> and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and, to, sorry, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's our chief aim. Worship. Have you reduced God just down to some rather tired and overused little sound bites? Yeah. Some, you know, yeah, yeah, I know those five verses that I keep repeating. Is that, is that God for you? Because it's very, you, I want to say, God wants you to consider the works of his hands, as the psalmist said in Psalm 8. So in conclusion, give yourself to worship. Fill your heart and mind, your soul, with amazing truths of who God is. Awesome, beyond us, unlike us. We're created. He's uncreated. If you don't know him, 
He's made himself accessible today. You can know him today. This awesome God. You can know him today. Isn't that exciting news? That is the good news. And he will forgive. Not he may be. He will. He will. He's faithful to forgive you. And finally, this, this is this. God came in the temple. He showed himself. Solomon saw this cloud. He revealed himself. And he came then as the incarnate son walking on the earth, Jesus Christ. And then Pentecost happens and he, Jesus says, I'm sending you my Holy Spirit so that my presence might dwell in you. Believers, you, you might have the very presence of God dwelling in you forever. He's done that. But then John, John points forwards in Revelations. And he says there's a time coming. There's a time coming when he will dwell with his bride, his own people. And new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven. And I'm going to finish with this verse from, four verses from Revelations 21. John's saying, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle, the tabernacle, of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. Let's just stand a minute. This is the amazing truth. He came, Jesus Christ, the presence of God, but he also comes to us his church and he comes and he dwells amongst us we are the light of the world we are the light of the world (laughs) every time I say it I feel like is that right? we? sorry it's him no no we are the light of the world because God's presence is if you know him in each and every one of us. And we shine that light as we worship God, as we say, I want my life. I want my motherhood. I want my work. I want it to glorify God. I want to be a worshiper in spirit and in truth. And I want to do that in my life. And I want to demonstrate God's glory. I want to have the personable part so people can access God by chatting to me. And having a sandwich with me. Just like Jesus did. And I want that. I want people to meet God. Meet Jesus through me. Is that what you want? Let's worship God together.